0: Hello guys, today I'm going to read Chapter 1 of The Shakespeare's Bribe. So here I go. Acting seems, on the face of it, simple enough matter. It is, after all, but an elaborate form of lying. Pretending to be someone you're not. Committing to memory words set down by someone else and passing them off. As your own, I was an admirable liar. I had even lied myself into the most successful company of players in London, the Lord Chamberlain's Men. It stood to reason that I would be an admirable actor as well. But I had since discovered that there is ma there there is far more to performing than merrily mouthing words in lifelike fashion. A lad who aspires to be a player must be able to sing as sweetly as a nightingale, dance as gracefully as a queen, change garments as swiftly as as the wind changes, sword-fight as skillfully as a soldier die as satisfyingly as a martyr, and learn an astonishingly large number of lines in a distressingly short time. And if he is less than competent at any of these skills, then he must be adept at lodging a variety of missiles aimed at him by the audience that that is as easily displeased as it, is, as it is pleased i have also heard said that to be a successful player one must be at least apparently insane i had no doubt that this is true Th- what person in his right mind would willingly endure so many demands for a so little reward, or so a little reward? Certainly, anyone w- who found himself behind the stage at the Globe Theatre just before the performance would have r- readily subscribed the instant theory. In fact, uh, a first-time visitor might well imagine it, that, rather than entering a playhouse, and he had stumbled by mistake into Bedlam, London's asylum slum for mentally de- daring. In my early days at the Globe, all the hurly-burly that preceded a performance had been overwhelming for a country boy like me, and even after a year's apprenticeship, it could still be unmoving if the level of activity was frantic enough, and it was, for example, on the afternoon when we opened a new production of Richard III, one of Mr. Shakespeare's early plays several of the players were pacing out like caged cats muttering their lines ferociously and somehow managing to avoid holding with one another or with our dancing and singing master who was practicing an incarnate dance step mr pope my mentor was very Baratain, the man who was trying desperately to strap the old fellow into a boiled, a boiled leather breastplate that seemed to have grown too small to contain Mr. Pope's amble belly. Mr. Hemmings, the company manager, was hastily repairing the curtain that concealed the alcove at the rear of the stage. It had been torn nearly from its hooks by our cold-footed Iron Man, Jack, as he struggled to put one of the heavy wooden royal thrones in its proper place. Meanwhile, he and Sam, one of our apprentices, were attempting to wrestle the other throne down the stairs, the throne appeared to be winning. Careful, gentlemen, called Mr. Hemings. Don't damage the arms. Which ones, groaned Sam? Ours or the throne's? And I and my fellow apprentice, the closest companion, Sander Coke, were in the relatively calm reach, reaches of the tearing room, getting into our costumes. The chaos outside did not concern me overly. I had learned that, like Mr. Hemmings' centering, all trace of it would vanish once we were upon the stage. When Mr. Shakespeare strode into the room, bearing a fistful of crumpled papers, which he held out to me. Can you copy these out of the form of the sides, which? Because of my skill with a pen, it was my job to copy out the sides or material scripts of, from which each actor learned his lines. Yeah. I smoothed out one of the pages and peered at Mr. Shakespeare's deformed handwriting. Aye, I said under my breath, I added, I can manage the decipher them. The others in the company were found af- poking fun at the system swift writing I had learned from my master, Dr. Timothy Bright, calling it Scribble Hand. But in truth, it was scarcely more difficult to read than Mr. Shakespeare's Scrawl. About to tuck the pages inside my wallet, but Mr Shakespeare waved an urgent hand at me. No no, it's to be done at once. I blinked at him in disbelief. What now do you mean? But but we v- no more than a quarter hour but performance begins. mister Shakespeare shrugged. Not to worry. We're not needed until Act Four. Ah well, I said sarcastically. With that much time at my disposal, I could copy out all the fairy queenie. By the mom- moment Shakespeare, Mr. Shakespeare was gone, I unfolded the sheets and stared at him, feeling dazed. Does it truly expect me to copy all these lines and the actors to con them before the fourth act? He didn't seem to me to be jesting, Sanders said. Did he to you? Nay, I said. I'll have to use Mr. Hemming's desk. I'll come with you to deliver the sides as you complete them. Thanks, as... We headed to the property room, I said. I sometimes get a feeling that I'm of more value to the company as a scribe than a player. Oh, I'd hardly say that. I'm not complaining, mind you. Not exactly. I mean, I lowered my voice. In truth, I'd volunteer to clean out the jakes and haul the contents to the dung heap and... And that's what it it took to belong to the company. Sander grinned. So so would I. But let's not make it known, shall we? We've enough to do already. There was no denying that. Our morning was occupied with learning the essential skills of a player, our afternoons with demonstrating them upon the stage, and... And when we were not practicing or performing, we were engaged in some material task: cleaning up the yard or the theater, whitewashing the walls, polishing stage armor, and weapons. In return for all our work, we received three shillings and a week, Sunday afternoons free, and If we performed well enough, the applause of the audience. It was not easy. It was not an easy life. Yet I would have traded it to, for any other. Part of the attraction, of course, was the fur for me. Odd as it may seem, there was, there is a satisfaction, alike, unlike, than any other in the creating of imagi- an of inagi- um, imaginary world and in predicting to be someone you're not. That it in itself may be the sign of instancy in the world that large. After all, a white who goes about trying to convince others that he is a woman or a fairy or a very most historical personage is ordinarily shut up somewhere safe. But in the opportunity to act before the audience was not only my only, my reason, only reason, or perhaps even my primary one, for relishing my position with the Chamberlain's men. I had grown up an orphan, and they were the nearest thing to be family I had ever known, partly mad though they might be. As I set to work, copying out the sides, trying to strike a balance between writing speedily and writing legibly, I became aware of a sort of murmuring or rustling coming from the yard of the theatre. At first it was very like the way the wind sounds, soothing through the treetops. But as it grew instantly, it came to resemble more the grumbling of some great beast impatient to be fed. It was our audience impatient to be entertained. To soothe them, our trial of hired musicians struck up a tune, and some players came to dance a jig for them. When the music ended, there was a moment of relative silence, followed by a ripple of laughter. Mr. Armin, one of our best actors, was on the stage now, doing his comical turn, perhaps trading gibes with the audience, perhaps impersonating one of the foolish fops, who turned up at nearly every performance and sat on the stools upon the very stage so they might be seen and admired by the groundlings. These dandies seemed not to mind being mocked by Mr. Armin, whose antics included tripping over the fashionably elongated toes of his shoes or getting his honestatious jewish jewelry caught in his cloak, pretending to doze off, then slipping from his stool and landing on his huckle bones, or dropping his rapier and, as he bent to retrieve it, revealing a wide rip in the seat of his breeches. The audience responded, as usual, with an unpretentious laughter. Mr. Armand's exit was accompanied by the exemption of applause, whistles, and cheers so enthusiastic that I looked up for my work. He was capering off the stage, wearing a broad smile that vanished for a moment. He was out of the audience's sight to be replaced by an expression that, while still pleasant enough, was business-like. How are you progressing? Forget, he asked. Nearly done, I replied. Not much of Bye. exaggeration. Excellent. I knew we would depend on you. I nodded. As much as I appreciated the praise, it seemed faint and compared to Boyster's acclaim. Mister Armin himself had just received. Do you suppose? I said wistfully. That I can never hope to, uh, for a response like that. Mr. Armand raised his eyebrows as though taken aback by my question. What? An applause? The laughter? Anyone can do that. All it takes is a few craft falls and a few jests. You want more than that, Widge. You want their silence. You want their tears. And how I wondered did I go about earning that. In my year's of pr- apprenticeship I had worked as hard as any other player or apprentice, I was sure, and had been awarded ever more submish- substantial parts. Maria in Twelfth Night, Rosaline in Love's Labor Lost, hero in much ado about nothing but for all my seeming success in my idle moments of which there were few i sometimes felt an anxious something worrying at the back of my brain at first i could not give a name to it but i but in time i recognized it for what uh, it was a lack of confidence in my skills, the nagging feeling that I was an impostor, a sham. Secretly, I suspected that, beneath all the trappings, behind all the grand lines, I spoke. I was not the real actor, but only a rootless, freckless orphan, acting the part of an actor, and I feared that one day someone in the audience or in the company would expose me. It was not an uh, unbearable fear. Just in the year I had been in the company, they had dismissed my friend Julia and another apprentice named Nick, who would not be considered a friend. Of course, there had been compelling reasons. Nick had stolen the play script. Julia had the misfortune to be a girl in the profession that admitted only boys and men. Though I had not gotten off to the very good start with the Chamberlain's men, in fact I had joined them instantly only in order to copy down Hamlet's for a rival company. Many transgressions since then have been minor, missed cues, forgotten lines, and the like. Still, I did not feel entirely secure. If the company did decide they would not do without me, God only knew what would become of me. Aside from my dubious skills as a player and a scribe, I had no means of supporting myself even more unpleasant than the prospect of being out on the streets, and what the thought of losing the only family I had ever known being an orphan again. So that was chapter one. Bye guys, see you later, see you later, see you later, see you you. later, bye guys!